Welcome to another installation of the CCIRA podcast. Today, our guest is Vince Pusick, and we're so excited for him to kind of talk to us about our new CCIRA Reads, um, our book study that we're doing. And I'm here with Molly. Hi. So Vince, tell us a little bit about your educational background. Okay, uh, well, I, uh, I'll start with backward design model until about, uh, and go backwards, but two years ago, I retired from the Colorado Department of Education. I was the uh, literacy and language arts content specialist in standards and instructional support. Before that, I worked in Colorado Springs School District 11 for, uh, well, since 1995, and I was at Palmer High School as an English teacher and journalism advisor uh, for about six years. Then I was the literacy coach at Palmer High. It was the first wave of uh, literacy coaches at the high school level in our district. And then I worked for uh, at the district level as a language arts content specialist. Um, I've been really fortunate to have some great uh, tutors and mentors along the way um, uh, throughout my career, really. I taught composition at UCCS for a while and worked under a um, professor named Janice Hayes, who was great with composition theory. And then I was fortunate enough a few years ago to get involved with the Educating Children of Color Summit in Colorado Springs, which uh, was just a great resource. It was started by a uh, local uh, judge, as a matter of fact, who uh, recognized the school to prison pipeline and that she was kind of part of that in her in her profession and started uh, the Educating uh, Children of Color Summit. Um, so my, you know, some of the discussion that we'll have today, uh, I've been involved some, I mean, I'm by no means an expert, but um, I have had some experience at the district level and in the classroom level of uh, talking about equity and diversity kind of issues. So it's good to be involved in this project. It, it really brought up a lot of past uh, work and past discussions and conversations in my career. Very interesting. Well, let's start there because that educating Kids of Color Summit and that school to prison pipeline sounds right. fascinating. So can you tell us a little more about that? Yeah, that's, sure. that's the part I'm most interested in uh, right now. That's, sure. I just yeah. think that, you know, when we, um, uh, the Educating Children of Color Summit uh, began with a, a judge named Regina Walter, who recognized that uh, some of the, um, uh, some of the penalties or jail sentences that she was handing down from the bench uh, were more severe for people of color than they were for uh, white people in the same situation. So she started this summit and, uh, uh, you know, you see some of the statistics about uh, third grade reading and that when students aren't at third grade level by the end of third grade, uh, dropout rates uh, increase. We see an increase in dropout rates by the time we get to high school. Um, there's just a whole, you know, kind of uh, boatload of problems when kids aren't reading at grade level. Um, 
so the the summit in a lot of ways addressed some literacy issues, engagement issues, um, uh, issues around uh, income and poverty, uh, all that you know. That's that whole constellation of um, elements that contribute to a kid not developing uh, literacy skills. It's it doesn't necessarily. It doesn't start or end in school classrooms. It's a community issue, and uh, you know we can address what we can address with it. And I think I think the book that we've chosen uh, for our CCR read uh, reads kind of addresses that. But um, uh, and one of the authors that's mentioned in in uh, the book that we're studying is named Alfred Tatum, who talks about text selection and and. Uh, uh, the uh, literacy lineages, what are those textual lineages that students have? So when I look back over my reading career, both in and out of school, there's Hemingway and Faulkner, but there's also Toni Morrison and Song of Solomon, and there's Adrian Rich, and there's uh, Yusef Komanyaka, who uh, you know was our uh, Pulitzer Prize winner in poetry. Uh, and people don't know, he went to University of Colorado at Colorado Springs and Colorado State University. So, you know, there's this, there's this lineage of my own textual choices and textual experiences that shaped who I am. And uh, the book that we've chosen and uh, Alfred Tatum's book, um, and I'm drawing a blank on the title right now, uh, talks about textual lineages and, uh, you know, what is, what is that history that students build uh, that becomes their own uh, in textual history, their uh, their literary, I call it the literary lives that they have. Um, so yeah, I think that, um, uh, and I think if they, if they don't create that kind of an identity, then, you know, that's not a sole contributor to the uh, school to prison pipeline or that kind of a thing. But if I can identify with another author, if I can identify um, uh, with people, with the characters who are in print, or if it's nonfiction, the, the, you know, the people who populate those texts, uh, I stand a better chance of being a reader. So uh, that's sort of where my interest was, was, uh, and probably still is in a lot of ways, is in that developing an identity as a reader. I really like that focus on that, because as a classroom teacher, that's something we have a lot of control over. Right. We can really think about what stories we're bringing to the table to um, influence their literary lives, as you called it. And I, it even reminded me of a TED Talk I watched recently with, um, I'm going to butcher her name, which makes me feel terrible, but Chimamanda Adichie. Um, and she was talking about single stories and right. even during her childhood, everything she read, all the characters were British and they all drank the same drink and they talked about the same things. And, you know, they talked about the weather and she's like, where I grew up, you didn't talk about the weather because it didn't change. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I just, I like that idea because that is something we can control. We can say, okay, I'm going to make sure I put this story out there for kids. Um, I'm going to make sure that I give them the opportunity to hear not only their 
you know, like you said, some things that match their experience so they can see themselves in authors and in characters, but so they can see some others and some different perspectives and really thinking about that variety. Um, and I was a little curious, you know, thinking about that, you know, you had also mentioned engagement, um, you know, income and poverty. So there are, are there some other things that you're aware of that as classroom teachers, we can really kind of glom onto and take control of? Uh, let's say, uh, well, I think that, uh, I think that one of the things that we need to look at is that, uh, sometimes when we have students in our classroom or during the school day, it is, it may be their best chance at having an academic uh, experience. And it's not, I don't say this in judgment of families or home life or anything like that, because um, a single mother or a single father might have a full-time job and a half-time job, or might be uh, coaching a sport or might be involved in other ways and to reinforce the academic life that the student has at school uh, may be a difficult thing. Uh, so I think that we have to consider uh, in our classroom environment when I have, and I'll speak from the experience of a high school teacher, but it's the same with middle school and probably with elementary. When I have my 26 students in class or 24 students in class, I really do need to build a community of learners, a community of readers uh, and writers. And um, so how do I leverage that hour in class, that 55 minutes in class, you know, whatever it might be at a high school or middle school or a 90 minute literacy block in elementary, how can I leverage that so that there's a lot of conversation, there's a lot of dialogue, there's students talking to students, um, about the text that we're reading or about the writings that we're producing, because when they leave that day, they might not have another opportunity for that for 24 hours until they're back in my class. And I know that um, several years ago, Douglas Fisher did research on student talk compared to teacher talk in a classroom. And he said that um, in his, in his first book, he said that um, his research showed that, teachers and students should talk 50% of the time, you know, 50, 50. And then a couple of years ago, I heard him in a presentation and he said, we got that research wrong. It should be 70% student talk and 30% teacher talk. And I just wonder how many opportunities in the classroom uh, or how often do we create opportunities in the classroom where it's students talking to students rather than listening to the teacher. Um, I don't know. I, I, I sort of learned a long time ago uh, that uh, my interpretation of a text is pretty irrelevant to kids. I can share my perceptions of what I read or that kind of a thing, but they need to be working out and sorting out their understanding of that text among them. I think my role is to pose good questions and to reframe, but my classroom should be a place where the social aspect, the um, relational aspect in learning is happening because they may not have that when they leave. Well, and I think that's so relevant even right now because we see these different models and some kids are all online, some are hybrid. And so 
they're not getting the social interaction that they would be getting at school. And so it's even more important nowadays to have them give them that social interaction as well. What do you, I, in my experience, and I was a coach for about nine years and I saw a lot of the teacher talk and, you know, some teachers were great at having kids share and talk, but it definitely wasn't that 70%. What do you think is limiting still for teachers? Cause we've heard this for a long time that we need right. to let kids talk more, but what do you think is holding teachers back from doing that? And I'm going to only speak from a language arts literacy perspective, because I think in other content areas that may, it may differ some in science or in math, social studies too, where they feel like they have to get through a lot of content. You know, if they have to, by the end of ninth grade or by the end of seventh grade, they have to pretty much try and assure that the next grade level, uh, their students have covered these, this material. In language arts, I think we kind of, we don't have to have that pressure on us. We don't have to race through anything, really. We don't have to get, you know, six novels in in the course of the year or four novels in or that kind of a thing. But I think teachers in some ways feel like to, to open up a classroom that it has more student conversation and dialogue in it, they lose control that what if this spins out of control and I can't, you know, I lose a class period or I lose a couple of class periods. And I understand that pressure. I mean, uh, with standardized assessments and I taught in the IB program. So you did have this sense of they, they need to develop a certain level of, of, skills and ways of talking about a piece of literature. Um, but I think they can, they can do that with the right questions, with the right inquiry based instruction that, that, um, uh, when teacher planning, I think, I think teacher planning itself can help foster that because if I create lesson plans with questioning in mind, then I haven't lost control. I'm, kind of structuring what that cl with classroom dialogue should look like. So I think some of it's that sense of uh, losing control of the classroom, maybe also a sense of coverage, you know, do we, are we going to make it through this novel or not? Um, I think there is some pressure about uh, standards based instruction and if I open this up too much, am I really addressing the Colorado standards? And I'm kind of, of a believer in, in the standards. I mean, uh, I did devote some professional work to it over my career, but I don't think that they're necessarily limiting. And I don't, I think sometimes standards get kind of a bad rap. And I think, I think you can be an effective and innovative and a creative teacher and address the state standards. But I think teachers might fear that uh, if it's too much of a student-centered, inquiry-based classroom kind of environment that I may not be able to address what I need to address, so. And coming from the perspective of a social studies and science teacher, I, I, I hear what you're saying because I can see some of my colleagues go, oh my gosh, we've got so much to cover. We don't have room for the kids to, you know, like dabble and speak about it. But kind of you were, you mentioned structures there a little bit and like really 
looking into some good structures and teaching your kids kind of the habits of dialogue and conversation, you kind of get that opportunity that, you know, you start slow to go fast because once they know how to do it, man, they can do some pretty amazing rapid fire learning when they know how to talk about things and they process things so much better when they can talk about things. And I think, you know, most of us who are into literacy know if they can talk about it, they can write about it. And so there's, you know, so much good that comes from, you know, that dialogue in terms of kids processing and learning and being able to do what we need them to do in any content. That's a great point. I think that, um, you know, we look at students who may not have the reading or writing skills, but they have discussion uh, skills. I mean, they may need to learn how to work in small groups and that kind of a thing. Uh, But uh, students are able to talk about uh, what they what they want to put in their own essay or talk about their responses to a story in ways that I don't think we give them enough credit sometimes, but we have to open the door for that. I think the other thing too is, um, and I don't mean to talk about the standards, but the, 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 uh, uh, oral expression standards in the Colorado academic standards. The first one is all about how do you participate effectively in groups? And I think there are really rich ways of how do you ask questions? Um, how do you extend conversations by asking questions of other group members or of the speaker, that kind of a thing? Uh, I think they get a little overlooked sometimes because they're not really measured, uh, but they could help guide a teacher uh, when that teacher designs some collaborative uh, learning opportunities for students. So uh, I think we can build that in too. That's, that's, that, uh, that's the end result of intentional and deliberate lesson planning too. It's okay. You can talk about the standards. It's okay. not a dirty word. <laughs> <laughs> Might be in some households. I don't know. Um, well, and I think it is important to weave those in because sometimes I think that it, they're so daunting to teachers, but the speaking, listening standards are not standalone standards. You can weave them in. And we've kind of talked about bundling standards and other podcasts too. And uh, you can bring it into science and social studies and math. I mean, I was a math coach for the last couple of years and they really want students to talk about their thinking and work it out and agree or disagree and challenge each other instead of just having the teacher say, no, you're wrong, you know, but having them look at each other and look at each other's reasoning and kind of justify their reasoning and go back with that too. So. Well, and I think that's a great point in terms of teachers who may be hesitant of, I don't know how to work literacy standards into my classroom instruction, start with oral expression and small group work. The other part of that is, is presentations too. I mean, uh, uh, standards that, uh, hold kids accountable for effective, uh, presentations in front of groups. So I think there are, are ways, right. Of, um, bundling standards together in different lessons. Absolutely. I want to pivot a little bit because we're going to be talking about equity a little bit with the book, but you know, equity is that new educational buzzword. We have all these different buzzwords that come up and cycle through, but when we think of equity, what to you does equity mean? Yeah, that is an interesting question because uh, we've confused it a long time for equal 
and uh, they, there's that old uh, kind of cartoon that has three kids standing by a fence trying to see over the game or over the, the fence to the uh, baseball game, I think it is. And they give all three of the kids equal sized boxes to stand on and the shorter kids still can't see over the fence, those kind of things. So they've gotten equal treatment, but not equitable treatment. So I think equitable treatment really is, uh, how does our system serve all students, because it's not about a lot of times we talk about, uh, you know, the achievement gap and and resource gaps and those kind of things. Well, those aren't the students fault. And sometimes we tend to, uh, you know, it's it's blaming the student for wherever he or she happens to be. And I just think that's wrong. So, uh, you know, an equitable an equitable solution is providing that student with the resources that he or she needs uh, to be in the game, to be in the playing field. And I know there aren't easy answers, but it, it might be access to textbooks. It might be, uh, you know, uh, I, if, from a community standpoint, it might be bring, bring the bookmobile from the library to the school and let kids check out books or let's help teachers build a classroom library so that uh, when we talk about students having being able to choose their own text, choose their own novel to read or those kind of things, that that novel is accessible to that student. Because uh, like I said before, when they go home, they might not have that sort of access. Um, I just remember learning early in my career and, and really hearing that uh, students from poverty come in with a poverty of language too, that they don't have a, a very large vocabulary. And a lot of those are monosyllabic words. Um, uh, and that there might not be, you know, my daughter grew up with books on a bookshelf and she had access to those things. I know that all children don't have that in their home. So an equitable classroom environment would bring the books to them, would allow them to have access to those kind of texts. Uh, I think an instruction, uh, instruction is in some ways harder to talk about in terms of equity, I think, because our belief system around how we're designing our lessons is pretty ingrained and we have to really kind of be pushed to rethink um, how are we approaching that novel or how are we introducing this, this um, uh, writing task or those kind of things where our own language may create the barrier or our own introduction to that um, may create the barrier. Uh, I'll give an example from my, uh, my, daughter's classroom. And in third grade, we went down to uh, New Mexico and we went to the George O'Keefe Museum. And then we went to Ghost Ranch where she painted her, you know, her, that was her studio in, in, in home uh, in Abiquiu, New Mexico. So uh, I asked my daughter what she would like as a souvenir from the museum. And she chose the book. Uh, my name is Georgia. My name is Georgia is the, is the book. So it's George O'Keefe's uh, biography for a little kid. Well, the next, the next Wednesday in class, like three days after this weekend road trip, the art teacher says, has anybody ever heard of George O'Keefe? 
well, my daughter raises her hand. And, and the teacher was surprised. My daughter was the only one who raised her hand. And uh, she said, well, what do you know about Georgia O'Keeffe? Well, her hair turned from dark black to white. She lived to be 90 years old. She uh, painted a place called Ghost Ranch. She had all these statistics and details about it. And then the teacher finally had to say, does anybody else know anything about George O'Keefe? Because my daughter was in full Jessica mode of, you know, sharing her, her insights. There are students who don't have that opportunity to go to, they don't have the opportunity to go to the Colorado Springs Fine Arts Center if it isn't for a, a uh, school field trip. So how do we make it equitable? All of a sudden, she had all this background knowledge on Georgia O'Keeffe just by a fluke that three days, we went over, uh, it must have been over Columbus Day weekend because it was a three-day weekend that we went down there. Um, so how do we build equitable resources and opportunities for students uh, that may not have that that opportunity. And it may be providing books, it may be uh, providing virtual experiences, guest speakers, those kind of things that um, may not happen without the school's, um, I don't know, intervention in some ways. And I, I love that Jessica moment that you described. So I, I was actually out sick on Thursday and Friday of last week. But because of that, I got to support some of my kids who were at home for their online days in our hybrid model. And so I had one kid. So when he came back and he had his in-person day and he's with the rest of the class, you know, because equity is, it's a challenge right now on those online days. Like you can really see the kids who maybe have supports or find it easy to access their online lessons and those who don't. Um, but this kid that I got to work with because I'm sitting home and I'm like, well, let's jump in a Google meet. I'll walk you through it. He comes in and he was so excited because as we're reviewing stuff from their lesson, he's like, I know, I know, and, you know, just jumping up and so excited. And man, it would be great if they all, you know, every time there was a lesson, they were like, I have something to share. And so, you know, really thinking about strategically, how can we create that opportunity for some background knowledge before we actually dig in so they can all feel a little bit like a Jessica, a little bit like an expert. Right. No kidding. And I think that, I think maybe a side by side to that is getting back to that idea of discussion, but also of posing questions that we have, we have different areas of expertise in our lives and we have different levels of expertise within topics. And I think that that plays into students uh, level of engagement. If, if I know that I have some expertise, I should also know that I'm welcome to contribute that to the class. And if I don't have it, I know that that's okay too. I'm going to be supported to build that expertise. Um, it's sort of that idea of uh, like intellectual integrity or, you know, honor that I'm going to learn and grow in here, you know, and where I am is completely fine. I won't be there in May. I'm going to grow in May, you know, or by May. Um, and I, I think that gets it out of that, you know, the learning environment that is uh, conducive to learning is that questions, curiosity, um, 
the student as, as question generator is all part of that. Well, and I love how you talked about equity encompasses a lot. It's not just one specific thing, but it's giving kids experiences. It's giving them a chance to share their expertise and then bringing in these different resources as well. So it's nice to have a broad look at equity because I do think sometimes we have probably all seen that picture of the kids looking at the baseball field. And I think sometimes that limits our view of what equity is and could be. Right. So let's talk about the CCIRA book study, CCIRA Reads. And okay. I know that we, the executive committee this summer was talking about how could we connect with teachers and engage them more, connect teachers with their local councils, and also provide support to local councils because they do a lot of professional development. But we also know that people are overwhelmed and stressed. And so we wanted to kind of give those local councils something that they could use to provide some professional development. And we kind of came up with this idea. And one of our goals this year is to work on diversity. And so our idea was to do a book study, kind of like what Colorado Reads did a couple years ago, where the whole state was going to read one book. So we'd love for all of CCIRA members to read one book and then be engaged and connect because I know when I read a professional book on my own, I get some ideas, but then when I get to sit down and talk with other teachers, other professionals, I get so much more out of it. And it's nice to kind of see those different lenses that everybody takes and what they're learning too. And so we ask Vince because he has some expertise on developing book studies and providing professional development to kind of look at some books and then choose one and put together a book study. So Vince, why don't you tell us just a little bit about the book you chose first? Okay. Uh, the uh, book that's the focus of CCIR. A reads is Cultivating Genius, an Equity Framework for Culturally and Historically Responsive Literacy. Uh, the author's name is Goldie Muhammad. Uh, so I think the book is known just as Cultivating Genius. Uh, so one of the things that I really like about uh, the book is that it offers this um, it's a, she calls it a layered framework. And I don't want people to get hung up on the idea of here comes another framework. I want them to look at the four layers that she introduces uh, and discusses, because I think that, um, you know, I hope what the book study does is that it challenges our thinking around the four layers. And the first layer is this idea of identity development. Um, not just, uh, well, it's kind of a broad uh, look at identity. It's, it's who they are as, as students, as, as scholars. It's also looking at who they are as, um, consumers of literature or, or as readers. Uh, but it's also the identity of where are they in a particular historical or cultural context. So it really is looking at student lives in a pretty holistic way, you know, and how do we identify in, in, our communities and in our, um, you know, uh, a certain place in time as well. So it looks at uh, a second layer is on skill development. So to make sure that we are proficient readers, uh, part of her argument is that, um, you know, we have done literacy work for a long time and some of our, you know, the bigger 
like standardized assessments would they would indicate that we aren't making great progress that we still have 30% of students in in Colorado reading uh, not proficient readers that it's around that 70% mark and for Hispanic students for African American students it's lower that we aren't based on those measures we aren't meeting their needs so she recognizes that we need uh, skill development, but she also kind of pushes against the idea of uh, drill and skill building, you know, that it's, um, well, drill and kill, really, that we, you know, that we reinforce these literacy skills, kind of devoid of a larger context around comprehension and, you know, making meaning. Uh, and I think there probably be teachers today who would push back against that, that no, we do. We have looked at it larger. Uh, but I think that's why it makes it for a good book study is that it's going to challenge our thinking, reinforce some thinking. And I hope uh, it you know causes us to have changes in our classroom. Uh, the third layer is on intellectual development. So not just gaining knowledge, but also what do I do with this knowledge once I have gained it? You know, how do I become, how do I use that knowledge to be an informed community member, to be an informed citizen, those kind of things. And then her fourth layer, which is really kind of at the heart of it, I think, is what she calls criticality. So it's not just critical thinking, but it's being a critical reader that I read text to understand the power in cultures and the power and authority in um, our society, that sort of a thing. And she calls it out in terms of uh, because we're talking about students who uh, are underserved by those communities. And she will she calls it out as uh, we read text to fight back against oppressive environments. So I don't, I think the book is political in ways that we talk about curriculum and text choices and those kind of things when it comes to race, gender, economics, but it's not a really politically loaded book. Although, like I said, I mean, I, even when you create a classroom reading list in high school, you're making some kind of a statement about inclusion of other voices. Um, uh, you know, what's that balance between old canon texts and books written in the last five years, those kind of things, all of those are statements, you know? Uh, so she talks about uh, in this criticality framework uh, that literacy is really about individual and self growth and also social transformation. And I think that's where, um, I think that will create opportunities for great discussion around CCRA, but it's also just a great way to stimulate our own thinking within our classroom and within our own, you know, uh, English departments or middle school grade level teams in talking about, um, Things like lesson planning, text, uh, uh, text choices, um, which are uh, parts of her book. She has great examples on text, on uh, lesson development and and making decisions about text that we uh, choose for the classroom. That sounds awesome. I'm very excited about that. And I do think 
we're talking about extending this book study till May. So it's not like you go out, buy the book, read it all, and then talk about it, but kind of chunking it. Right. And uh, in the next week, I think in the next week or so, maybe a little bit less time over the weekend even, so maybe by the beginning of next week, uh, I will, uh, we were fortunate to have Julia Torres, who is a uh, school librarian in Denver Public Schools. Uh, She's going to help us launch the book study uh, with a video that uh, she's finalizing right now. She ran into some technological glitches and uh, I talked with her today and it's on its way. And what I will do is um, uh, draft up some questions that we can discuss in as a group uh, throughout the state. Uh, some of the questions may be pulled from the book itself because she has great reflection questions in there. Uh, some others may be questions that as I've considered this book and think about um, uh, sort of where this book is placed among other books around the same issues, that might be some interesting questions that generate. But I think that if we, you know, uh, commit to this book through May, it really places the book in a, um, we can use the book study as a launch into bigger discussions in subsequent years if uh, we choose to, but it doesn't have to be limited to this book. And I think that this conversation can be so rich that the book study can actually launch a bigger discussion in Colorado. So I have a question, Jessica and Vince, is it too late for somebody listening to jump in and join the book study? Like, is everybody signed up or are you, are we still letting members get involved in this? We have not start. We just introduced it to the leadership this weekend. And so we will be rolling this out. We'll be putting it in our communicator and sending information out to members um, for more information. And then local councils, if they choose to participate, they're going to be sending out information as well. So the first step you can do is go and purchase the book. And Amazon has a great deal on it. Um, and then just kind of wait and see for more information. So we're not like trying to rush this out. And we know that people are busy and I can hear all teachers saying, I don't have time for this. But I think as I've been listening to Vince and everything he's talked about, this whole conversation is we have to make time. We have to make time for so many different reasons because that We need to learn how to reach our students, no matter where we are in our teaching, no matter if we're elementary teachers or high school teachers, we need to reach students because of COVID. We need to reach students because of their different situations. And I don't think any teacher can say, I am the perfect teacher and I'm there yet. So I think um, this is a great professional development opportunity but this is also a great opportunity to connect with your own colleagues or to connect with other people throughout the state as well. And, you know, my own personal philosophy on this that I'm going to shove out there right now, because never mind sharing my opinions. (laughs) Anytime you engage in professional development, that's going to improve your practice for one group of students everybody benefits from that. So your whole classroom is going to benefit and your instruction is going to benefit. And so you do have time for it because it's going to just 
make your job that much better and usually easier, I think, when I learn new things. But that's me. And I would like to add that uh, the book is very readable. It is very accessible. It's not. Uh, and going through the selection process, I read and skimmed and looked at a lot of different resources. Some of them were pretty heavy that it was like I'd get done with the chapter and think, OK, I need to reflect and really, you know, like uh, it was just so much. Uh, this book, I think, is uh, much more accessible than some of the others. And it's not a criticism of the others. I was very uh, conscious in making the decision or considering the decision about a teacher's life. We don't have to rush through this. You know, we don't have due dates. Uh, and I think that when when we send out some of the materials, it'll say, you know, you might want to consider um you know, in the first three chapters, consider these questions. Uh, maybe you read it all over winter break. Maybe you read it all over spring break. Uh, what'll, what'll be provided is the video from Julia and then some guiding questions from me. Uh, maybe some comments from uh, CCRA members around the state as we get further into the book study of just their own insights and comments about uh, how has this book impacted their thinking. So I think you, I think it's a book study that you can really join at any point because, uh, uh, there may be people who are further along in the reading or that kind of a thing, but that's not ruling you out from being involved in the book study. So, uh, you know, you can have it on your Christmas list and start in the next semester. Uh, you know, I think our goal is probably by, uh, the end of May, this formal part of the book study ends. Hopefully the conversation keeps going though. And we're also providing a grant um, to councils to buy some books. And then Vince is also in charge of the equity and diversity grant. And that's for professional development. So that is another resource you could go through. And all of that information is on our website at ccira.org. But you do need to be a member to take advantage of these different resources. It's only $35 for the whole year, which I equate to either Starbucks or wine. How many Starbucks or wine can I get by for $35? And I think it's a pretty reasonable price. Um, Vince, thank you so much, first of all, for talking to us today, but also putting this book study together. I have my copy and I am excited to read it too. And I think this is going to be a great opportunity to learn together and just kind of improve and expand our teaching. Thank you. Thanks for listening to CCIRA Literacy Conversations podcast. To find out more about CCIRA, go to ccira.org. On ccira.org, you can join as a member or find great resources like our professional development blog, which posts every Tuesday and has a variety of guest writers on an awesome selection of topics. CCIRA is a professional organization of educators and community members dedicated to the promotion and advancement of literacy. We also have a Twitter account at Colorado Reading. You can find us on Instagram at CCIRA underscore Colorado Reading. Or you can find us on Facebook, where we also have a members-only group that we're trying to build. And our Facebook account is CCIRA Colorado Reading. 
We'd love to hear more from you. And again, if you're looking for new content, please send any questions or things you'd be interested in seeing from CCIRA to CCIRAvideo at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and have a great week.